Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. You're flying on a plane when you see the engine explode and catch on fire. How would you react? Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the LeadX Show, where we help you to stand out and to get ahead. I hope you remember to tell your friends on Facebook and at work all about the LeadX podcast, because we want to build the LeadX family. And also, make sure to check out leadx.org, where we're offering a new free online course every single day. We've had Beth Butler show us how to organize our office space for peak productivity. Dr. Patricia Scott taught us how to engage short attention span audiences. And aren't they all these days? I personally taught how to overcome procrastination and how I manage my email to get to inbox zero almost every single day. Check out our free course of the day at leadx.org. Today on the show, you're gonna hear from the last passenger to exit the plane from the miracle on the Hudson. We talk about what he did when he believed he was gonna die. We're gonna talk about the power of certainty and how to communicate with sensory acuity. But first, today's tip, two-way communication. I was getting decent engagement scores from the employee surveys, but my weakest domain was always communication. And I used to get mad. How can that be? How can they ding me on communication? I send out the monthly newsletter. I do a quarterly town hall meetings. I've got an open door policy, at least when I'm actually in the office, that is. What do they want? A weekly email from me? A monthly town hall? My mentor, Bill Erickson, set me straight. Kevin, they don't want to hear more from you. They want you to hear more from them. They want two-way communication, not information. Based on research on 10 million workers in 150 countries and on my own experience as an entrepreneurial leader, the top three drivers of employee engagement are growth, recognition, and trust. In fourth place is communication. And communication kind of runs like the backbone through those first three. Now, I finally fixed my scores. I learned how to communicate when I implemented weekly one-on-one -on -one meetings with direct reports, and those were their meetings, not mine. I did town halls where it was five minutes of presentation and 55 minutes of Q&A. And instead of a vague open door policy that nobody ever used, I took four random employees out to lunch every single week. Now, my communication scores have never been perfect, but they moved from weak to strong. I just remind myself, it's not about what I want to tell them. It's about what they want to tell me. Two-way communication. Friends, for episode 100 of the LeadX Leadership Show, we had on Captain Sully Sullenberger, the pilot of US Airways Flight 1549 that suffered a bird strike, taking out both engines right after they took off. Captain Sully successfully landed the plane in the Hudson River in what came to be known as the Miracle on the Hudson. Captain Sully saved 155 lives that day. And he, of course, gives credit to his co-pilot and crew. Today, our guest is someone who was a passenger on that flight. He was an ordinary person put into an extraordinary situation. And because he chose to help everyone else first, he was the last passenger to leave the plane. He wrote about his story in his book, Moments Matter. And here to tell us about it in person is Dave Sanderson. 
Dave, welcome to the LeadX Show. Kevin, thank you for having me. Excited to be with you today. I'm really excited to, to have you on and to hear your story. And we always start, it's like a tradition here, but we always start with the same first question, which is, will you tell us a story about a time when you failed? Maybe early in your career, maybe later. And, and what did you learn from it? Because I want to learn from that failure too. You know, unfortunately, I've had it a few times in my life. I think everybody's got those times, but you know, I'll, I'll go back to college um, because you know, my freshman year of college, and this is a little known story, which I have not told in many, many years, but I was actually uh, trying out for a TV show called Dance Fever. <laughs> I remember Dance Fever. <laughs> Late 1970s, and I thought that would be my claim to fame, and I got to the uh, semifinal round to be on TV, and I failed, and I thought I was such a big failure because I thought I was, you know, good enough, but then you realize, you know, later on that, uh, you know, there's a lot of good good people out there, and you really have to stand out if you want to be something like that, so that was that was the time I failed, and I learned a, a really nice lesson about myself that uh, if I'm going to be outstanding, you got you to put that a little extra into that 1% more to get that to get that effort in. Yeah, that's great. You were probably, you know, the best dancer in your school and all that, but then you get to that national level and it gets a little more humbling, huh? Yeah, when you want to go on TV, you're not, uh, you're not, everybody's good at that level. When you think you're great, you're just good. So uh, yeah, it's a great lesson. That's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. So Dave, as you know, I interviewed uh, Captain Sullenberger a, a couple of months ago it was for our hundredth episode. And so we heard the story from, you know, what uh, the, the miracle on the Hudson landing was like from the cockpit point of view. But take us back to that flight. I mean, what was it like as a passenger? Yeah, I appreciate knowing that. Yeah, Captain Sullenberger and I have spent a lot of time together. And I tell people there's 150 unique experiences on that plane mm. where uh, the front of the plane, he had a whole different experience like we saw in the movie Sully. But my experience, I was in C-15A. And, you know, I, I flew over 100 times a year, so I thought it was a normal business trip. But uh, after you hear the explosion, I still didn't think that anything major was going on. So he said his famous words, brace for impact. And I think that was the uh, the moment that I realized it was something he used to work dire, I think. I used to work serious, but I'll go with his term. <laughs> but it was it was a surreal experience because, you know, when you get when you think you're crashing in a plane, you know, your whole life passes before your eyes. So I think he was like, I, I know his story. He was focused on getting his outcome. I was focused on what's going to be like in the after in the next life, because can I didn't think I was coming back, but I tell folks, I think there's two unique experiences on this plane. There's the getting the plane down safely was captain Sullenberger and captain Scouts get a hundred percent of the credit for, but getting the people out of the plane when the wa water's rushing in so rapidly is the other experience, which I think was a whole team effect. So I think that was where, I really was challenged to really employ the things that I learned and, and sort of manage my state at that time because getting down once you realize you survived is one thing, but now you got to get out of the plane that's sinking in, in the water, which is 36 degrees. And that, that makes sense the way you framed it up, but let, let me, you know, rewind you to that moment. So, I mean, you, cause you just said explosion. Um, but so you heard the noise when the birds, you know, went into the engines, but you didn't, you didn't realize you guys were going down at that point. No, I heard the explosion. I was in C-15A, which was four rows behind the left wing. So I looked out the window and I saw fire coming out from underneath <laughs> the left wing. So, you know, I knew something was happening. But, Canley, I know since I fly so often, Kevin, that planes have multiple engines. Right. This one had two engines. So I thought, okay, he's going back to LaGuardia. So it wasn't uh, until he crossed over the bridge. And he only cleared the bridge, I think, roughly around 400 feet because he was roughly 1,000 feet at that point. And you can look out the window and see people's faces looking up, and that's how close you were to the bridge. That's when I think that uh, 
Yeah, when I realized something serious was going on. So, so you real you see as you guys are, are are descending and realize, okay, this is this is bad. But you know, at what point was it? Sort of, uh, hey, this is going to be a really bad landing, and this is going <laughs> to this is going to be bad. And I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. Or did you literally have that feeling like, uh oh, I think like this is it? Oh, I, I initially thought this is it because the only thing I can remember from plane crashes was, is if you remember some of those film that that video they ran that night about planes going down and tipping on the edges and just you know rolling right. through the water and yeah. crashing. And all I could think about is, man, this thing goes down. I don't have a shot. I mean, nobody's got, no one has been able to do this, right? So it's like, I don't have a shot. Dave, this is, it feels weird to me to be asking, you know, these personal questions. This is like the first time uh, we've met, but I mean, you you hear the people say, oh, my whole life flashed before my eyes. Other people say, you know, they, they think to take out their phone and send a final, I love you text message. I mean, what did you do in that minute or half a minute when you thought you were going to die? Well, once he said brace for impact is when I prayed and I, you know, I prayed for three things. Number one, whoever that captain was just to get me down to one piece. Hmm. You know, I, uh, I, who, I don't know who he was at that point. Just get me down. Second was, I hope my, my, my client who was in Brooklyn called my wife to her. I loved her. And the third thing I prayed to God to forgive my sins. And I didn't uh, think I was coming back, but then I put my head down because I didn't know how to brace. Who, right. who reads the instructions, right? You brace like you think you're going to need to brace. But then when I put my head down, you know, and it's pretty true for, I think, what you just said. I, I has, saw my whole life pass before my eyes. I saw it with, with, with very clear and vividly things from my life I hadn't seen for many years. And I'll share this little, little other thing with you. I, I talked to a lady who was in my church who survived the earthquake the following year in Haiti. Hmm. And she and I were comparing notes because she was in that same situation. She said she had the same same thing. She saw her whole life pass before her eyes with clarity, and all of a sudden you knew what your mission on earth was. You had, all of a sudden clarity came to your life. This is why I'm here. And that's what happened to me. And what was going on uh, around you? I mean, I imagine you sound like you were fairly uh, almost stoic about it, but I, there must be people crying or screaming. I mean, people must have been panicking a little. It was so quiet to hear a pin drop. I think wow. everybody was into themselves. There were, there were some people who were texting. You know, we know that. I know a lot of people were doing that. But the people who were around me were, I think, reconciled and this is probably it. That's amazing. And the flight attendants are just echoing that brace command while all this is going on. Yeah, all you heard is brace, 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 heads down, stay down. That's all you heard the entire time. So you uh, you set this up. There's sort of like two parts of this story. The first part, which you didn't have a whole lot of control over, is you know right. landing and getting in the water. But then all of a sudden you land, and there must have been like a surprise, like, wow, I'm not dead. And then what? I got to get off this plane? Yeah, so I looked as soon as we hit, I looked up, I saw light coming through the window, but the water was already over the window at that point. So, you know, I knew I was alive, but my game plan, Kevin, wasn't that right. It was get to the aisle, get up and get out. But when I got to the aisle, something happened that changed everything for me because I was just can't really get out until I heard my mother who had passed away in nineteen ninety seven talk to me in my head and said, If you do the right thing, God will take care of you. Mm. And to me the right thing was again, I grew up in sports and athletics and Boy Scouts were always around groups of teams of guys. You take care of the guys. So I went towards the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help because I knew I was alive. I didn't know anybody back there. What was, things were moving fast, but you, know, you didn't know what was going on. So I went to the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help. And there was one elderly lady that was having a little challenge. And two of the ladies, I give them 100% of the credit, got her up and got her moving. So I got behind them 
and started making my way out of the plane. And by that time, you know, the water's about waist deep. Luggage is all, all flown out from the impact. So, you, so things were floating in the water. So you started trying to get out. But all the further I could get up, Kevin, was 10F on the right. When I got to the door, you know, I looked out to get out on the wing like everybody else, but there was no room on the wing or the boat for me. And that's why I was inside the plane for about seven minutes waist deep in 36 degree water holding on to the lifeboat. And I didn't know I, I was the last passenger out until there was a picture when I was on with Captain Sullenberger and some other people from the plane on the Good Morning American. The first picture they show was me hanging out of the plane holding on to this lifeboat. So, Dave, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way, but when, when yeah. I heard that you were the last passenger on the plane, I assumed it was like – you know, you were in the last row in the back and had to go all the way up, and it was just sort of by circumstance. You're actually in 15A, right? And you you turned around and went back to the back of the plane. That's correct. Well, I think that tell people. I think my mother. One of the things my mother did when she was alive is she would never tell us what to do. She would give us a choice, and she said, "If you do the right thing, it wasn't like do the right thing. It's if you do the right thing." So, um, you know, I made a choice to go to the back and can because I said I knew I was alive. Right. You know, I, I knew that I was OK. And at that point, you're, you're in you're in go mode. You know, you talk. I tell, give the example of firemen. You see, like, like what's, what's happened recently in some of these things. See these firemen rushing in, you know, with all the adrenaline. I had the adrenaline. So that's why I went towards the back of the plane. And you were able to, I'm just trying to, to, uh, to paint the picture, you know, for the listeners. Cause I imagine as you know, you're trying to check on people in the back of the plane, there's still people flooding the aisles or trying to get out like, right. Right. Yeah. So I was sort of squeezing in between. And one of the things I tell people that a lot of people don't don't know, but on impact, some of those seats had actually, well, an impact had broken back. Mm. So one of the things you, I noticed and other people noticed is there are all of a sudden people jumping up on top of the seats walking down the seats to get out get out the doors. So I give the examples like sometimes when you think you have one pathway to get something accomplished, all of a sudden multiple pathways open up. That's what happened. Interesting. And all of a sudden there's like three different pathways that people walk. So as I saw that, I, I when I went my way back, I I get my way back, get on a seat, get on my way back, get on a seat. So I worked my way back that way. And so at what point did you say, all right, I've done I've checked on everybody, I've done all I can do. I'm now gonna leave the plane. Yeah, so that was about six, seven minutes later. And then what happened was is the plane shook. And what I found out after talking, I've talked to a lot of people who were there, and one of the tugboat captains accidentally hit the front of the plane as he was backing his boat out, which shook the plane. And I, when I felt that go on, I felt water going up my back. And that's the first thing I thought about, Kevin, was Titanic. Yeah. I said, man, this thing's going down, man. Don't be sucked down in a plane. You know, this is the worst thing you can do right now. Is two things can happen. You can have a fire or you can be sucked down a plane and do not be sucked down a plane. Right. So I jumped in and swam to the closest boat that I could find. And it would have to happen to be the end of that wing. Now, it was the water was was freezing. I mean, are you a strong swimmer? I am a very I'm a very good swimmer. And one of the things I tell people, one of the things I really appreciate my mom and dad give me swimming lessons when I'm a child now. But was if, if when I took the Red Cross swimming lessons, one of the things they make you do is swim with your clothes on. Right. And, you know, and I, that day I had my clothes on and swimming in this 36 degree water. There was also what people don't understand was also had jet fuel floating in it mm. because of the, the impact. So now you're you're trying to swim through this water and with clothes on. And it's uh, I tell people it's I thank mom and dad every day for giving us swimming lessons. So, so that's part of I mean, it's still uh, really amazing, your calm and, and sort of disregard for your personal safety. But in the back of your mind, you figure if I don't get sucked down with the plane, like if I can get into the water, I'm going to be OK. Like I can swim to to wherever I need to get to. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember that movie Titanic, right? The people who jumped in the water and got away from the boat didn't suck down with it. And that's what I thought. I was like, just get away from the plane. Because if you saw the movie Sully, I don't know if you've seen it. I did, yeah. You know, and the gentleman they showed, they told the gentleman to jump in the water and get away from the plane. Right. He was actually the first passenger out, and he was in the hospital with me. So we had the first and last passenger in the hospital together, and we were sure what happened. And they told him the same thing, get away from the plane. Hmm. So um, – Maybe that uh, maybe we both did the right thing just by happenstance. Now, while you were, I guess, you know, moving from the back of the plane up up forward, did you see Captain Sullenberger at the other end doing things? I mean, what were your memories of what he was doing? Well, I don't know who he was. I saw somebody up there walking back and forth. Right. But candidly, I wasn't focused on who the hell it was. Excuse my language. I, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to get out of the plane. But you know, I saw somebody moving up there. But you know, when I when I was hanging out of the plane, I felt I felt something going behind me. You know, just, but I don't know if it was water or whatever. So we found out later it was Captain Sullenberger checking the plane. And so how long were you, um, you know, hanging on to the boat? Like once you got off the plane, how long before you sort of really felt safe? Well, I got to the ferries. And they got me on the ferry, but that's when it really started hitting me, Kevin, because by that time the adrenaline had gone. And I was been in the water for seven, eight minutes now, and I was so cold, I, can't, I could barely breathe. Mm. And I, that's the moment I first thought, I'm not going to make it. I, I might survive the plane crash, but I might die of being cold. But uh, it wasn't really until I got to the triage center and they, they told me I could have a heart attack or stroke because of my condition. Yeah, but it wasn't. So at that point, I still didn't feel real comfortable until I got to the hospital. and They finally started warming me up, which took five hours to warm my body up because uh, I had hypothermia. My, my body temperature was about 94 degrees. Jeez. So uh, it took five hours to do it slowly so my organs weren't. Uh, affected and basically what I told everything south of my heart was frozen my stomach my my kidneys so until I could go to the bathroom my kidneys started working that's when they would know that I my body had uh was ready to go and it took them five hours for me to be able to go to the bathroom wow that's that's really amazing so let's hope for most of our listeners you know we never have to face what you faced on that uh on that you know, day that is really just captured so much attention and is just amazing. You know, what are some lessons that you sort of take away and now share with others, you know, in terms of, of, you know, surviving and succeeding in unusual and extraordinary situations? Well, one thing I, I tell people, and I show people this, but I have a I shared with the picture from Good Morning America is, is that if you remember from the movie, this will, this will sort of detail for those who've watched the movie that all the crew went out the left side of the plane. So the right side of the plane, where I went out, was all driven by passengers, managed by passengers who had zero experience in handling crisis situations like a plane crash or in training to do it. So what you find out is in the most uncertain times, you know, the person with the most certainty has all of a sudden becomes the leader of, of that group. And I think myself and other people stepped up and gave people certainty when all this stuff was going on. So number one, you know, give people certainty in the most uncertain times and they will flock to you and you'll, they'll, they'll, you can be able to control the situation, number one. Uh, number two is, you know, you know, I realized after I got off that I was really mismanaging my time in my life. So the biggest lesson afterwards was I need to focus more time on my family than on my business because candidly, you know, I, I was there on business and, and and I gave up so much personal time for my business. So managing my time uh, was one of the probably the biggest priority changes in my life. So leadership and teamwork from perspective of giving certainty in uncertain times. And it, it doesn't matter whether you have the skill sets, but if you can give certainty to people, all of a sudden you have a much better chance to survive. Yeah. In, in the, the management world, I mean, I often will talk about just if people who want to to improve their team, say, employee engagement, I'll say, 
you know, certainty defeats anxiety. It's hard to feel engaged at work if you're anxious about, you know, whether you're going to have a job next quarter, or whether the company's going to do well or whatever, whatever that might be that, you know, that's a great role of the leaders to provide as much certainty as possible. And, you know, tell, so tell me more. You ended up switching careers shortly after uh, this flight. Uh, it took a few years because I still had to get kids, still have to get kids through college. Right. Uh, but it was it was about about four and a half years. My wife finally, what happened was the backstory was is the CBS did a feature story on me on the evening news on the fifth year anniversary of the plane crash. And uh, they followed me from Charlotte to New, New York to New Jersey for about three days. And once that aired, my wife saw it. She was back there and I was actually in New York doing some, some media uh, around that. And she said, you know, maybe this time for you to go out and do your own thing. And that was like a blessing to my ears. I was like, man, she's giving me the go ahead to go. I'm going. And that uh, I went out and started speaking and because I knew I could impact more people right. by doing what I'm doing now than, than working it for a company that candidly I didn't know whether it valued me or not. You know, I made him a lot of money, but, you know, like you said, the next day you're back at zero. So what are you going to do for me lately? Where now I can impact people's lives. And that was really what changed. My wife gave me permission to do it. Was it hard to fly again after that day, I imagine? Well, the next day, U.S. Airways was taking great care of me. They did a tremendous job. So, no, I was on a plane the next way back. But the real challenge, Kevin, (laughs) was the next week when my company asked me to fly to Michigan on business. And I made a decision to go, even though I probably shouldn't have. But they put me on Delta. And when I tell people, there's nothing wrong with Delta. I love Delta. (laughs) And, though, I was a rock star on U.S. Airways. No one in Delta knew who the heck I was. They put me in the back of the plane. I was in the last row on Delta. And, like, I was in the front row everyplace else. So uh, that was a little challenging. But the captain, someone told the captain who I was. And in mid-flight, he came back and talked to me. And uh, that was a great comfort. He gave me a little bit of one-on-one time with the captain. Wow, that's that's amazing. I uh, I can't believe that your uh, your boss of the time would ask you to get on a plane a week after you know surviving that crash, and uh, controlled landing. I guess uh, Captain Sullenberg prefers us to say he can say that all day long. There's a crash in the back of the plane. Right? I've told him that likewise. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I didn't think about that for, for, uh, for a while there, whenever you'd fly us airways though, they, you get, you got some good treatment after that, right? Hey, uh, I was a rock star and I think all of us were rock stars when we flew on us airways. <laughs> so Dave, let me ask, uh, you know, is I, with the lead X listeners, I, I like to always give them like a daily challenge. I just say, look, try to get a little bit better every single day, you know, as a leader. And I use that term broadly, we're leaders in our families, we're leaders at work. You don't need to be the boss to be the leader. I mean, what would you say is something that you would ask us to try or to reflect on, uh, given your experience? Well, I appreciate that because it may sound abnormal. I would talk to, I, I tell people that work on something every day is around your sensory acuity. And what people say, what's that? It's how do you communicate in the modality of the person you're with? And what I mean is there's audio, visual, and kinesthetic ways to communicate. And that day, you know, with all the stuff breaking loose, I had to communicate in a lot of different ways. And having this skill set by being the head of direct, director of security for Tony Robbins for about 10 years and <laughs> traveling with him, being around him, learning how to communicate in different modalities was something I picked up. 
So I say I would challenge everybody's listening and say, understand whether it's your spouse, your spouse or significant other. Understand how do they communicate? And just, you know, whether they're auditory, they want to talk a lot, or visual, short conversations, or kinesthetic, they're more touchy feely, and try to communicate in their modality. And all of a sudden, see how much rapport you get very quickly. And that's what I use in sales, and it's something my company never understood how I was getting into the C-suite so quickly. Is because I could communicate in the modality of the people I was working with, and all of a sudden you build instant rapport, and you're now side by side instead of confrontational. And, and Tony Robbins is, you know, uh, especially in, in, in his books, you know, talks a lot about and, and teaches neuro linguistic programming, NLP, mi- mirroring. Is this similar to what you're you're speaking of? I mean, you're, you're breaking it down really simply for us with the audiovisual kinesthetic, but you would use NLP techniques in your sales career and things like that. NLP, but more. Well, really started really thriving when my sales career started taking off where I was a top producer was around neuroassociative conditioning, associating things and having people understand how to associate things in an effective manner. And in sales, being able to paint a picture for people and make, building that using not only language, but your associations, it was a powerful, powerful combination. This is new to me. I'm familiar with NLP, but not neuroassociative conditioning. Where can we learn more about that? What Tony teaches that is his second book, Awaken the Giant Within, and and you know, he teaches that at his seminars. But it's uh, you know he's now moved on to other things such as right. the power of identity and things like that, which I totally believe and, and agree with. Likewise, but neuroassociative conditioning, being able to understand how to associate things so people can learn and communicate effectively at their level, combine that with the modalities, it's a powerful combination. Fantastic. Dave, you've been really generous with your time and being so vulnerable, sharing, you know, this really scary incident. So sincere thank you. And tell our, you know, LeadX family, how can we find out more about uh, you and, and the work you're doing today? Well, I really appreciate that, Kevin. Well, the easiest way is go to my website at davesandersonspeaks.com. Uh, and that's where pretty much everything resides. We're always in, mo- in upgrade mode, but uh, that's number one. But number two, on Facebook, uh, that's where I sort of leave with some of the, the more distinctive things that's going on and where we're going with uh, what my, my organization is, Dave Sanderson Speaks. And LinkedIn is where I give sort of the, um, the my daily wisdom, which is David Sanderson or Twitter at Dave Sanderson too. But I'd also like to offer your, your audience, Kevin, I mean, I just put together this video series based on these 12 principles and resources that I wrote about in my book, Moments Matter, uh, to offer them the first video free uh, as my thank you for listening to me. If they text 797979 and put in the word brace, the number four impact, they'll get a free video from me about certainty and how to have certainty in uncertain times is my gift for the, to them. That's very generous of you. Again, it's 797979. Brace for impact. Yep. And um, we'll make sure to put that in the, the show notes as well. I, I really appreciate any kind of the, the free resources um, for, for our listeners. Dave, thanks again for coming on to the LeadX show. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Have a great day. Friends, before we go, remember, at LeadX, we're on a mission to give free leadership training and professional development to everyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit leadx.org. Dot .org that is to check out our course of the day or visit leadx.org forward slash Branson to download our free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership. And please take one quick minute, go to leadx.org forward slash subscribe to subscribe and leave a rating for this podcast, The LeadX Leadership Show. Leadx.org forward slash subscribe. Until next time, remember, You have incredible influence on those around you, your family, your team at work, 
your community. We all need you to lead mindfully. How will you lead today?